Daniel chapter 2 this morning. If you find your way there, if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided for you there uh, in the pew in front of you, Daniel chapter 2. For those of you who are guests with us this morning, uh, we are welcome that you're glad that you're here, and we've been journeying through the book of Daniel uh, over about the past four weeks. And we made it here to chapter 2. Last week, we started this chapter, and we read the entire chapter in its entirety to kind of set the context. We're not going to do that again this morning. We're going to just pick up right where we left off last week, and we'll read a short portion of Scripture uh, as we begin, and then we'll be hitting some highlights along the way as we finish out uh, or attempt to finish out uh, chapter 2 this morning. So if you found your way there to Daniel chapter 2, let's stand together, and we're going to be reading verses 19 through 23. Daniel chapter 2. Verses 19 through 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. It is he who removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things, who knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we have requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You can be seated this morning. Just to give us a moment of context and to catch us up from where we are, remember last week we studied there at the beginning of chapter 2, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had had a series of dreams that had troubled him greatly, uh, so much so that he could not sleep at night. And he had called before him all the wise men of Babylon, these men who had been trained in magic and sorcery and divination and any other kind of, of worldly system that was available to them at that time in order to interpret dreams. And he called them before him and asked them to interpret the dream. And as these wise men came before him, they expected it to go exactly the way it had always gone. They would come before the king, he would tell them his dream, and then they would offer unto him an interpretation. Now, the easy thing about that was, was that because these were the wisest men in Babylon, once the king told them their dream, his dream, and they gave them the interpretation, really no one would question what their interpretation was. They could make sense of however silly the dream may have been, offer an interpretation to the king, and that would have been set in stone. However, Nebuchadnezzar at this time did something completely foreign than what he had done before. Instead, when he called the wise men before him, he said, I want you first to tell me what my dream was, and then also to tell me its interpretation. Now, you remember that the wise men of Babylon tried their best to convince the king to do otherwise, and when he would not relent, and in fact told them, if you do not tell me the dream, and you do not tell me its interpretation, I'm going to kill all of you and burn your houses to the ground. They realized how serious of a matter this was. And they went to the king, and they told him, and they said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked for this, and moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could do it besides the gods themselves. They said, King, what you are asking us to do is impossible on every level imaginable. And so the king commanded that all the wise men of Babylon would be killed. And Daniel and his friends, although they were numbered among these wise men, were not yet in the king's presence. They were still back in the palace where they stayed. And so when they heard the news of what was going on and they found out what was happening, the king, uh, Daniel himself, actually went to the king to beg for more time. And he said, King, allow me just a little more time 
in order that I may seek and find the answer to your dream. Now, all through this book so far, we have seen the handprint of God's providence and sovereignty all throughout Daniel's life. And we talked a little bit about that last week because just in the fact that Daniel and his friends were not numbered among the first group of men, because they were kind of lower on the totem pole in the group of wise men, they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak before the king in that first realm of men who went before the king. But God in his sovereignty had them held back so that they would have now this opportunity for Daniel to go before the king and to ask for more time. We also see God's hand of providence in the fact that the king even allowed Daniel to come into his presence, but also that when he had refused to all of the other wise men to give them more time for some reason, and we know it wasn't by chance, it wasn't by luck, it was by God's divine providence, the king said, okay, I'll give you a little more time. And this is where we left off last week. Daniel and his friends came back, and the first thing that they did, which demonstrates to us the first thing that any of us should do in any what has been deemed as an impossible circumstance. And as I said last week, these men, even though they were not faithful men of God, these were, these were conjurers, these were men who were, who were serving uh, false deities and false gods, they spoke truth. This was an impossible circumstance. No man could do this on his own. And so when we are faced with impossible circumstances, we must do what Daniel did here. Him and his friends went back and did the only thing that one can do in such a time, and that's pray. And they went back and they began to beseech the Lord. And so God answered their prayer. It tells us there in verse 19 that the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So the first thing that I want you to note is not just the response to prayer or the, the prayer that he gave, but now this is the proper response to answered prayer. The proper response to answered prayer. Have you ever thought about that? What do we do when God answers our prayers? Oftentimes we think about the things that we want to pray about, right? Maybe we're praying for, for healing for someone in our family. Someone's diagnosed with a sickness and we're praying that God would either heal them or give them more time. Uh, maybe we're praying for a, a situation with a job situation. You know, we, we need a new job. We want to provide for our family. So we're praying for God to answer there. Maybe we're praying for a, a lost loved one uh, or, or a coworker who, who needs to know Christ. And so we're praying that God would, would draw them unto himself. And so we pray and we pray and we're asking God and then God answers the prayer. So then what, what's the proper response? What do we do after God answers our prayers? Do we just say, well, thanks, God. I appreciate it. You know, can you do a little quicker next time? Sometimes that's probably how we respond. But Daniel here shows us, him and his friends show us the proper response to answered prayer. And that's to go to God immediately and begin to praise him. Because notice this here. Daniel and his friends literally have a death sentence hanging over their head. The king has already said all the wise men in Babylon are to be killed and their houses burned to the ground. Now Daniel has somehow, by God's providence, gotten this little bit of extra time and immediately leaves the king's presence, go home, they pray all night and pray all night, and God answers their prayers. He reveals to Daniel the, the, not only the interpretation, but the vision that the king had. Now, you would think, because let's be honest, if, if we were in Daniel's position, as soon as we got the answer, we would have just bolted out the door to go back to the king. Because we know that he, he's sitting there and he's waiting and time is running out. Time is ticking down. But brothers and sisters, we need to understand and get this this morning. I, I hear people say sometimes, I don't have time to pray, right? I don't have time to go to church. 
But the exact opposite is true. You don't have time not to pray. You don't have time not to go to church. It's about what we make a priority in our life. Now, Daniel and his friends, they could have. They could have just ran right back to the king because they know what's, what's awaiting them. If they don't get the answer back, the king is likely going to become more and more angry as the day goes on. But Daniel knew that before he could go back to the king, he had to sit down and to praise God because what had God done? God had done something that was humanly impossible. God had done something that was miraculous in the sense that he had given to Daniel not just the interpretation of a dream, but he had actually given Daniel the dream that the king had dreamed himself. So with all the seriousness of this, Daniel took time to pray. I mean, to praise God. It was John Calvin who said, whenever God confers any remarkable thing on his servants, they are stirred up to praise him. So Daniel knew nothing else that he could do besides, I just need to worship God. I need to praise him. I need to glorify him. And we find that here in verses 20 through 23. But there's a beautiful thing about Daniel's prayer because, I mean, Daniel's praise, because Daniel's praise is not just about, say, God, thank you for answering this. He really extols and praises who God is in the sense of, of why God answered this prayer, but he also praises God in the sense of comparing and contrasting the God of Israel, the God of all the universe, in comparison to the gods of Babylon. Because this is really, in, 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 a, in a crude sense, there's a battle taking place here behind the scenes of all of these wise men of Babylon who serve these false deities and claim to have great power and prestige, and it's their gods who have enabled Babylon to do everything that Babylon has done. It's the wise men who have enabled Nebuchadnezzar to have the wisdom that he's had and to accomplish everything that this great nation has done. But what Daniel is saying is, no, that's not true at all. It's, it's, it's the God of Israel. It's the God of all creation. He is the one who has done all of this. He is the one who has allowed things to take place. Notice with me there in verses 20 through 23. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He says, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. You know, the one beautiful thing that, I, that sometimes I, I feel like maybe we're just maybe too far removed from and we forget, is how important the legacy of God's faithfulness was to the people of Israel. It was not uncommon for them in prayers and in praises and in stories to go back and to rehearse over and over again how good and faithful God had been to his people. And I'm afraid sometimes as modern-day Americans, as modern-day Christians, we're often not as good at this as we should be, uh, of rehearsing in our minds, not just how God was faithful for our ancestors in the Bible, because those stories are there for us all the time, but rehearsing how faithful God has been for us as individuals, and rehearsing how God has been faithful to us as a family, and to carry on those stories, because those are those things that remind us in those moments when difficulties come, that we can remember, oh yeah, this, this is a tough season of life, but I remember what God did for us 10 years ago. I remember what that story that my granddad told me about how they were walking through the season and how God was faithful to walk them through and to deliver them. And God does that, and he wants us to carry those things on. And Daniel here is reminding himself of that. Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. He's thinking to the past, but he's also thinking to the future. 
He says, what God has done in this moment, let his name be praised, not just now for answering this prayer, but let his name be praised forever and forever. Because brothers and sisters, understand that no matter how insignificant we may think we are, nothing that happens in your life is happening by chance. It's all part of God's perfect and sovereign plan. And what you're doing right now may seem so simple in the moment, but you have no idea what God may be doing to use your life to impact the greater good of the kingdom of God. Daniel in this moment could have thought, well, what are we, right? We're just four guys here stuck in captivity in Babylon. But now here we are thousands of years later looking back to see this example of four men who are willing to be faithful in the midst of overwhelming circumstances to trust the providence and to trust the goodness of a God who they knew they could trust because they had seen it before and they had heard it before. So he says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. He says, for wisdom and power belong to him. That wisdom is the, the understanding or the revelation of, of what he had given to Daniel. That wisdom was what he had bestowed upon Daniel to understand the king's dream and to understand the interpretation of it. And that wisdom and power, both of these are in contrast to these figures in Babylon. These, all these other wise men who, who claim to have all this great knowledge, they didn't have any wisdom. They didn't have true wisdom because they could not do what the king asked them to do. And power speaks to God's sovereignty. That although Nebuchadnezzar, and later on he would declare himself in the next chapter, he declares himself, you know, look at what I, great Nebuchadnezzar, have done. Look at, look at this kingdom that I have built. Look at all that I have done. But all his power was just held there by God's hand. And just as God had placed him there, God could remove him in an instant. And so Daniel here is saying, all wisdom comes from God. All power comes from God. All of this belongs to him. We need to remind ourselves, Daniel is going to emphasize this in just a moment, but let us remember this, that all wisdom, all power belongs to God. It doesn't belong to anything else. It doesn't belong to anybody else. All of it belongs to him. Now in verses 21 and following here, Daniel just paints this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. And he talks about all the things that God is doing in the midst of his time, but it, but, it, but it parallels so well with where we are because God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I want you to notice here uh, this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God. Notice first Daniel speaks of the events of the day. Look at there in verse 21. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. Some translations may talk about the seasons. Now, he, Daniel here is not just talking about day and night, although he is. He's not just talking about the sun, moon, and stars. He's even talking about prosperity and adversity. All of these things, God is the one who orchestrates them and controls them. Now, we understand that God has put the world into place and that the world operates as it's supposed to. The sun rises and the sun sets. The day changes into night, and the night changes into day. The hours tick by on the clock. But be reminded, all of that happens because the hand of a sovereign God is causing it to happen. It's not Mother Nature, it's Father God. 
He is the one who orchestrates and holds all of those things together. And at any moment, God could, if He wanted to, cease it to happen. He could cause the sun to stand still as He did in the Old Testament. He could cause the earth to stop spinning if He wanted to. And just by speaking the words, nothing else would would, would be necessary. So He's saying it's God who controls the times and the epics. Not the idols of Babylon. Not these great leaders of the world. And how is that comforting to us? How is that comforting to us? Because if God changes the times and the epics, and so the days of the week, the months fly by, the years continue on. There are times when we walk through prosperity and there are times when we walk through adversity. And God is in control of all of it. The comforting thing in the midst of that is to know that He is in control. That we're not there by ourselves. That we're not there alone. And if God... Brothers and sisters, let's think about this. If the God of all creation can create the world in six days and hold all the universe together, as the Scripture talks about in the palm of His hand, and He can hold all of that together day in and day out, now for some 6,000 years, the the things that you and I are facing in our daily life are infinitesimally small compared to what God is doing. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to cause us angst or worry. Look at what he says. He says, he removes kings and establishes kings. This is something that we need to pay careful attention to. Nebuchadnezzar was a a powerful king. He wasn't a great king. He was a wicked king. Now, later on, we're going to see he comes to this point in his life where he he begins to boldly confess the truth of the God of Israel. But at this point in time, Nebuchadnezzar is an evil, wicked man. He has done horribly wicked things all throughout the earth. It is not just good kings that God puts on the throne. God allows evil and wicked kings to also sit upon the throne. And none of those kings are there by their own might and power. Nebuchadnezzar would have told you that he was there because he was the greatest warrior in the land and he had conquered and done all in order to get himself there. But Nebuchadnezzar was only on the throne because God had said, you will be the one who sits on the throne. Alexander the Great, all the Roman Caesars, all the pharaohs of Babylon, I mean, pharaohs of Egypt, all of them were there because God had placed them there. And when it was time for them to come down, they were removed from the throne. We need to remind ourselves of this fact that God puts his leaders into place in order really for two reasons. He orders, he puts them in place to reward his people or he puts them in place to punish his people. So when we look around and we see the leaders that we have, and this applies to us today, when we look at our political leaders and we look at the things that happen around us, we need to understand none of those people who are in Washington or in Raleigh or in Haywood County, none of those people are there by chance or luck. They're there because God has allowed them to be there. And it's either for the rewarding of his people for goodness and faithfulness and obedience to him, or it's to punish them because they have not done what he has asked them to do. But it comforts us. Because just as God can establish kings, he can remove kings. When, according to God's providence, it is time for those things to change, God will change it. We don't have to fear and to worry. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to walk through difficult times. There are times, Daniel here, looking through uh, the, the, the early church, suffering under the persecution of Nero, right? They suffered underneath wicked and evil kings, but they suffered under an evil wicked king that God had placed there. 
And they trusted and knew that God was doing something for their good and for their glory, even though they couldn't understand it. The confidence is, is that God will do what God chooses to do. So God is sovereign over the events of the day. God is sovereign over the leaders that are put into power. But God is also sovereign because he is the giver of wisdom. Look there in verse 21. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. God is the one who gives wisdom. Now, there's a, there's a parallel here between verses 21 and 22 about wisdom. And we need to, to understand this, is that wisdom and knowledge comes from God, not just to those who are His, but to all people. It's not just all saved people who are smart. Right? There, are, there are very intelligent people who are not Christians. They have knowledge. They have understanding. Because God, in a sense of like a common grace, has given understanding and wisdom even to those who are outside the counsel of His will. They're outside those who follow and trust after Him. And so, were these wise men of Babylon, did they have some knowledge and understanding? Well, of course they did, because they had been trained not just in, in the ideas of, of, of divination and sorcery, but they had also been trained in architecture and, and archaeology, not archaeology, but, but um, astronomy, and all these other different uh, educational systems. But God is the one who gives that to people. It is God is the one who reveals wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And this, again, is a common grace that God gives so that even for those people who are outside of Him, they're still able for society to function in a somewhat cohesive and sensible manner. He gives and He blesses and He gives that wisdom. But notice verse 22. Because he doesn't just give wisdom, but God also unveils the truth because there's a difference between a worldly wisdom and a godly wisdom. A worldly wisdom, you can know a lot about the things of this world and how certain things operate. But to understand the truth of who God is and to understand how that wisdom is, is applicable to everything in life, you have to know who God is. It is only God who gives that kind of wisdom and he only gives it to those who belong to him. Verse 22, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. God knows everything. God knows our secret thoughts. Those profound and hidden things are those things that wisdom and understanding, because what is the greatest wisdom and understanding that God gives to those who are his that he does not give to those who are not his? And that's the understanding and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. To understand the scriptures. I was just talking with someone the other day and there's someone who, who's read the Bible, but they are not a Christian. And the hard and difficult thing about talking with someone about the Bible who is not a believer is they can read it. They can understand the historicity of it. They can understand the stories. They can even understand some of the doctrine that is taught in the pages of the Scripture. But they will never understand the truth of what God's Word is teaching until they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the Scripture teaches us, is the one who reveals to us the truth of what God's Word is. So you could have someone who has a Ph.D. in Old Testament and New Testament, but if they don't have Christ, they might as well have no degree at all because they can't understand the truth of the Scriptures. Because it is God who is revealing these things. It is God who is unwrapping these things. So here again, Daniel is proclaiming 
that all wisdom, all power, all of this belongs to God. And all of this sits underneath the sovereignty of God. This is what Daniel is proclaiming over and over. He says, here we are sitting here waiting for God to answer this prayer. He has answered this prayer. And as we look around, what we see happening is the divine hand of a sovereign God doing exactly what he purposed to do. James Montgomery Boyce, a pastor who was the pastor of 10th Avenue Presbyterian, said this. He says, if God does not control our lives from the actions of kings and others in positions of power to the most minute circumstances, then everything in life is uncertain. But if God is sovereign, as the Bible declares him to be, and if he is our God, if the promises he makes and the actions he takes are certain of fulfillment, then we can be confident of the future and know that, he, that we will be able to live our lives in a way that will please God. Brothers and sisters, if God is not in control of everything, then we have no hope. If God is not sovereign, then we might as well just pack our bags and go hide in a hole in the ground because this life would be miserable to live. And I've seen people who are like this, people who are afraid of every decision that they make, People who are afraid of, of a devil under every bush. People who live in constant fear of what's going to happen. I've told you a long time ago, several months ago, I just stopped watching the news because I don't really care what CNN or Fox News or anybody has to say because it's all just opinions, right? It's God who is sovereign. It's God who's sitting on the throne and it's God who's going to do what he pleases to do. And if I commit myself to follow him, if I commit myself to trust in him, then that's all I need to worry about. Because what's happening on the world scale, now, don't get me wrong this morning, I believe it's important to know and ha what's happening in the world. I'm not saying we have an avoidance of everything that's happening. But we just need to trust more in what God says than what the news reporter or the political pundit tells us to think. So Daniel here is offering this praise. He's glorifying God. I want you to think back to a moment in your life where perhaps God answered a prayer that you thought was impossible. And where God did something that even sometimes when you were praying it, you, you, all, you questioned yourself to pray. It's like, can I even pray this? Because this is such a big thing. Oftentimes we doubt, right? Shame on us sometimes. We doubt that God can do the things that we want to ask him to do. But Daniel has said here, all wisdom, all power belong to him. So Daniel was not afraid to pray the impossible because he knew he served a God of the impossible. Brothers and sisters, do not fear to pray and ask God to do the impossible because he can. And according to his will, he will do so. Now notice there, verse 23. In the midst of all that has happened, Daniel comes to this place and he says, To you, O God of my fathers. And there's again that hearkening back to the covenant faithfulness of God that he had proven himself in Abraham. He had proven himself in all of the history 
uh, of God's people. So he says, O you, the God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. He's praising God, for God has answered this prayer. And notice, he uses that same terminology there. He says, to you belongs all wisdom and power. And now he says, you have given me wisdom and power. Because he, he's demonstrating, he said, God, in, in our submission to you, in our trust in you, in our trust in what you can do, he said, you have given something to me that I could not do in myself. Now, now Daniel had been, he had been trained alongside of all of these other wise men of Babylon. He had gone through this three-year process of being educated in everything it was to be a good Babylonian citizen, of everything it was to be a wise man of Babylon. But Daniel is saying here that the true wisdom, the true power came not from that three years of education, but came from the God of Israel. He says, you have given me wisdom and power. And even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. Daniel said, you perfectly answered our prayer. You have given us what we needed. Now, Daniel, verse 24, the prayer has been answered. The praise has been given. And now Daniel is ready to go and stand before the king. It says, therefore, Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Now, commentators are oftentimes there's there's a a debate on on the, the, the series of events here, not of, of how they happened. But how earlier. In. Uh, chapter 16, Daniel just goes into the king. I mean, in verse 16. But here he doesn't. Now he goes back to Arioch, the king's bodyguard, and he says, okay, I have received an answer. Now I'm ready to go back to the king. He says, put everything on hold. Now notice how bold Daniel's being here. He says, don't destroy the king's wise men. Write off the death sentence. Take me in and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Daniel can be bold because he knows the God whom he serves. And when God answers our prayers, when God moves, we have nothing else to fear in this life. Brothers and sisters, when we serve the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we have nothing to fear in this life. We can boldly stand before kings. We can boldly stand before the authorities. Because we have the truth and the wisdom and power that God has given to us. Now, what's interesting to me is verse 25. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Now, wait a minute. That's not exactly how this story unfolded, was it? It was Daniel himself who went to Arioch and said, I can answer, I can do this. But here Arioch goes, and why is this happening? And this is just a side note here, that human nature does not change. Because Arioch knew how angry the king had been 
But he also knew the king had promised. He said, if someone can interpret this dream, tell me my dream and interpret it, I'll give you all these riches and all this glory and splendor. So what Arioch thought in this moment was, it's like, well, I can't be the one to interpret the dream, but if I can be the one who found the guy who can interpret the dream, then perhaps I'll receive just a little bit of the blessings. So Arioch runs into the king. He says, found a man who can make known the interpretation to the king. Now, we don't know what happened to Arioch. Sadly, Daniel does not give us any more description of what happens to him. But verse 26 says this, And the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. So notice what Daniel is doing here. Uh, Daniel here is laying out the groundwork, again, to demonstrate what the wise men had said earlier, the impossibility of humanly being able to do what the king is asking to be done. He says, the wise men, the conjurers, the magicians, not even king, the diviners are able to declare what you want to know. And why is Daniel doing this? Because he's getting, to getting ready to demonstrate the power of the God of Israel in comparison to the power of the God of the Babylonians. He's getting ready to compare the might and the majesty that Nebuchadnezzar thinks he has to the might and the majesty that the God of Israel does have. Notice in verse 28. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made it known to you and will, what will take place. But for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. How easy it would have been for Daniel to walk in before King Nebuchadnezzar and fall into the temptation that Arioch had fallen into. To say, here I am, O king. I have not only the, the telling of your dream, but the interpretation of it. Now bestow upon me all the riches of Babylon. It would have been so easy. He, he could have walked out of this room a rich man. But he would have been a disobedient man. He could have walked out here with all the luxury of Babylon given to him, but he would have had to walk out of there knowing that he disobeyed the God that he so dearly loved. Because look at what he says. He says, there's a God in heaven who will do it. All your wise men can't do it. All the magicians, the conjurers, they can't do it. But there is a God in heaven, Nebuchadnezzar, who will tell you your dream and he'll tell you the interpretation. And he already lays the groundwork that what he's getting ready to tell the king is not about things that have happened in the past, but are about things that are yet to come. He's getting ready to, to let forth a, a prophetic declaration of things that are yet to come, things that are in the future, because he wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand that what God is getting ready to say is not what could happen, but what will happen. Th this is a declaration of God. Because we need to understand this as well. God is not sitting in heaven watching the events of man unfold and then reacting to them. 
God has already put into place everything that will happen from the very beginning of time to the very end of time when Jesus returns. All of that was set in place before the foundation of the earth. And God's sovereignty is ruling and operating it over it all. But as we close this morning, I want you to look there again at verse 30. Because as, Nebuch- as, as Daniel could have walked into there and walked away with all the riches of Babylon, notice his statement there in verse 30. He said, but as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. Daniel says, it's not me. It's not my wisdom. It's not my power, but it's his. He is the one, this God in heaven, this God that I have served faithfully in my time in Israel, this God who has been faithful to my people for thousands of years, this God who has been watching over us, who has covenanted with us, this is the one, this is the true God. And he has given me this interpretation. He said, for the purpose of making it known that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Daniel's response to answered prayer was a praise given to God. But Daniel's response to answered prayer also continued out in the fact that he did not try to steal the glory of the answered prayer away from God, but he continued to point it back to him. Daniel was faithful and humble and submitted to do exactly what God wanted him to do, even through the midst of great difficulty and challenge and an impossible circumstance. Brothers and sisters, we are not Daniel. Oftentimes you'll hear people when they read through the book of Daniel in the sense that say, dare to be a Daniel. We're, we're not Daniel. But we can learn from Daniel. We can learn of his faithfulness and trust in God in the midst of these circumstances. There's some of us in the room who are going to walk through seasons of life where it's going to feel like what has been placed in front of us is an impossibility. And in those moments, we need to bow on our faces and go to God. And we need to pray and seek his face. And when God answers the prayer, we need to glorify him and to praise him and to lift up our hearts and understand that he is doing exactly what he purposed to do. Daniel was not under the assumption here that just because he stood before the king, that everything was going to be okay. But he knew he had to be obedient to what God had called him to do. He knew he had to be faithful. Daniel knew, as we talked about in the early parts of chapter 1, Daniel was going to take every opportunity that he had to use his position in Babylon to declare the glory and the greatness of the God of Israel over the gods of Babylon. And we need to do the same. In this room, we have people of all ages, of all backgrounds, and of all vocations. And God has placed every single one of us in the place where we are. None of us are where we go to school, what we do for work, where we live by accident. And God has called every single one of us to use that place that we are and to influence it for the good of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to leverage those opportunities as we can and as God gives us opportunity. Next week, I encourage you to read ahead to the end of the chapter. Next week, we're going to look at the dream. And we're going to look at what the king's dream was. We're going to look at what he saw in that vision. But more importantly, we're going to talk about what that dream meant. Because there's a, a beautiful, beautiful promise that God gave through this dream. 
not only of his sovereignty over kings, but what God has done through Jesus Christ and what that means for us as a church today. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace, Lord, for guiding us. Lord, we thank you for this book uh, that already for my soul has been such a deep encouragement, uh, Lord, of trusting you and trusting your sovereignty. Lord, if I'm honest, there are, there are often times where I begin to doubt and I begin to question and I begin to allow the things of this life to overwhelm my mind. But this book has been such a, a poignant reminder and a pointing back, Lord, to your goodness and your faithfulness. Lord, help us to trust. Lord, to not question or to doubt, but just to have that firm resolve and trust in knowing who you are. That if you are faithful for Abraham, you will be faithful to us. If you are faithful to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, you are faithful for Daniel, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You are faithful for Paul. You will be faithful to us. Because we are your children. We're part of the family. And Lord, your promises are yes and amen. They do not change. And you have said that you would never leave us nor forsake us. I'm reminded of Jesus' words. Not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of itself. You know of all the needs that we have. And if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to us. So God, guide our hearts to trust and to rely upon you. And we ask all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.